0: Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are um, the God of the heavens and the earth. Uh, you made all things um, and done so well. You also rule all things by your sovereign hand. You are truly uh, the king of the nations. Um, you set kings up, you bring them down, you ri- bring uh, make nations rise, uh, you make nations fall. Um, and as we study in your word this morning, we will see um, you doing that, uh, you ruling the nations, um, punishing them justly for their sin. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. May you uh, use the sins of uh, the Philistines and the Moabites uh, to show us our own sin, um, to shake us out of our own uh, complacency, um, and help us to put our trust in you and not in the things of the world. And Lord, as we study uh, this morning, um, this region uh, on the, the Western coast of Palestine, a region that even this day um, is at this moment is experiencing warfare and bloodshed and death and destruction. Um, we uh, turn to you for, for you alone can bring uh, peace. Um, human beings, human institutions um, will always um, Uh, look after their own self-interest you truly are the only one who can bring peace on earth uh, even as we celebrate the prince of peace and his coming uh, this Christmas season so we do pray that you would work your sovereign hand um, and that you would make uh, warfare and oppression cease we um, ask now that you would uh, give us ears to hear your word eyes to see Uh, Your works uh, in human history uh, and and in the uh, history of man, um, teach us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. We lift all this up in the baptist's name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to um, Jeremiah chapter 47. So we're actually going to be looking at um, two chapters this morning, because largely because chapter 47 is really short. <laughs> um, so we're going to be uh, continuing uh, in a section we started last week, um, uh, a section that was introduced in chapter 46, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations. So that's going to be the unifying theme of the next several chapters until we get up to chapter 51. Um, We'll uh, see uh, God bringing forth um, his judgment upon these nations. And last week we started with Egypt and we talked about how um, one of the reasons uh, probably Jeremiah starts with Egypt is one, just Egypt's overall importance in the history of Israel and God's people, what Egypt Symbolizes, but also um, we talked about how, uh, at this very specific moment in time, um, Egypt is suffering uh, a major defeat at the hands of the Babylonians, and this is the moment in in human history where uh, Egypt uh, wanes as a world power um, after uh, the Babylonians defeat them at the Battle of Carchemish, um, and God. Uh, we saw last week uh, mocks Egypt and uh, Egypt and its gods for their um, for their arrogance, for their um, uh, arrogating to themselves uh, this this image of ultimate power that they are the supreme power on earth and God. And uh, we saw in this mocking prophecy is putting Egypt in its place, um, and the the emphasis is. Uh, that yes, it's Babylon that's punishing Egypt at this moment, but it's God who's raised Babylon up as his instrument uh, to bring his judgments forth on the Egyptians. So um, today, and we said last week, the way Jeremiah arranges this, roughly we start in the, the southwest with Egypt and we start going northeast and we'll follow that fertile crescent Uh, and it'll end with Babylon in chapters 50 and 51. So today, in chapter 47, uh, we come up and we get um, Israel's neighbors on the west and east. uh, Philistia, uh, which is again roughly, if if you're paying attention, seeing maps of uh, Israel and Gaza, it's it's roughly the Gaza Strip is um, Philistia. Uh, and then Moab sits on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, uh, across from Israel, um, and it's basically modern-day Jordan. So. All right, with that as a word of introduction, hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapters 47 and 48. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says the Lord, behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. At the noise of the stamping of the hoofs of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels, the fathers look not back to their children. So feeble are their hands because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines to cut off from Tyre and Sidon, every helper that remains for the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley. How long will you gash yourselves? Ah, sword of the Lord. How long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard, rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore, he has appointed it. Concerning Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kiriathiam is put to shame, it is taken. The fortress is put to shame and broken down. The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon, they plan disaster against her. Come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, O oh madman, shall be brought to silence. The short sword shall pursue you. A voice, a cry from Horoniam. Desolation and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have made a cry for that the At the ascent of Luhith, they go up weeping. For at the descent of Horoniam, they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Flee, save yourselves, you will be like a juniper in the desert. For because you have trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Chemosh shall go into exile with his priest and his officials. The destroyer shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape. The valley shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Lord has spoken. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away, for her her cities shall become a desolation with no inhabitant in them. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile, so his taste remains in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send him to send to him pourers, who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars and pieces. Then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, and at, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How do you say we are heroes and mighty men of war? The destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up, and the choicest of his young men have gone down to slaughter, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction hastens swiftly. Grieve for him, all you who are around him, and all who know his name. Say how the mighty scepter is broken, the glorious staff. Come down from your glory and sit on the parched ground, O inhabitant of Debon, for the destroyer of Moab has come up against you. He has destroyed your strongholds. Stand by the way and watch, O inhabitant of Aurora. Ask him who flees and her who escapes, say what has happened. Moab is put to shame, for it is broken, wail and cry. Tell it beside the Arnon that Moab is laid waste. Judgment has come upon the table land, upon Holon and Jaza and Mephaatha and Debon and Nebo and Beth Diblathiam, and Kiriathayim and Beth Gamol and Beth Meon and Kiriath and Basra and all the cities of the land of Moab far and near. The horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, declares the Lord. Make him drunk. Because he magnified himself against the Lord, so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he too shall be held in derision. Was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves, that whenever you spoke of him, you wagged your head? Leave the cities and dwell in the rock, O inhabitants of Moab. Be like the the dove that nest in the sides of the mouth of a gorge. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride, and his arrogance, and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false, his deeds are false. Therefore, I wail for Moab. I cry out for all Moab, for the men of Kir Haresheth, I mourn. More than for Jazer, I weep for you, O vine of Sibmah. Your branches passed over the sea, reached to the sea of Jazeer. On your summer fruits and your grapes, the destroyer has fallen. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I have made the wine cease from the wine presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. The shouting is not the shout of joy. From the outcry at Heshbon, even to Eliela, as far as Jahaz, they utter their voice from Zoar to Horoniam and Egleth, Shilashiah. That was a good one. Um, for the waters of Nimrim, Nimrim... Sorry, my glasses are fogging up here. The waters of Nimrim have also have become desolate. And I will bring to an end in Moab, declares the Lord, him who offers sacrifice in the high place, and makes offerings to his God. Therefore, my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the men of kira Therefore, the riches they gained have perished, for every head is shaved and every beard cut off. On all the hands are gashes, and around the waist is sackcloth. On all the housetops of Moab and in the squares, there is nothing but lamentation. For I have broken Moab like a vessel for which no one cares, declares the Lord. How it is broken, how they wail, how Moab has turned his back in shame. So Moab has become a derision and a horror to all that are around him. For thus says the Lord, behold, one shall fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Moab. The city shall be taken and the stronghold seized, the heart of of the warriors of Moab shall be in that day like the hearts of a woman in her birth pains. Moab shall be destroyed and be no longer a people because he magnified himself against the Lord. Terror, pit, and snare are before you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares the Lord. He who flees from the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For I will bring these things upon Moab, the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the shadow of Heshbon, fugitives stop without strength. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame came from the house of Sion. It has destroyed the forehead of Moab, the crown of the sons of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Chemosh are undone. For your sons have been taken captive and your daughters into captivity, yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. Thus far is the judgment on Moab. And thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we talk of it together this morning. Um, So today we have two prophecies uh, concerning two small neighbors uh, of, of Israel uh, Philistine to the uh, west and again um, Moab to the east. Um, so the, we, we've got a short prophecy about the Philistines and then we have a really long prophecy about Moab. Um, uh, and, and we can talk about Moab gets a lot more attention here uh, than some of the other nations um, for, for a small country uh, it gets a lot of prophecy from God here, and maybe we can talk about why, but but let 's start with with the Philistines. Um, so what does Jeremiah say will happen to the Philistines, and um, who is it that 's bringing judgment upon them? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, like overwhelmed, like this flood from the north. And, and if you think, like this is an image that um, Jeremiah's been employing the entirety of the book. Uh, if you think uh, one of his first visions we see in the um, opening chapter, he sees this bowling pot overflowing again, coming from the north. So that image of from the north is coming this torrent of destruction. Um, and in this case, um, they seem to be getting it twice. Um, so, so notice here, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. So they're getting it from the Egyptians, and then they're also getting it again from the Babylonians. So, um, so if you think last week, um, he, he gave us this description of um, Egypt being defeated uh, at the Battle of Carchemish, which again is northern Syria, kind of near the border of Turkey, so they're defeated and flee back down south. So after they're defeated, it's sort of like you know, a, a bully who who gets beat up by a bigger bully on his way home sees a little kid and picks on <laughs> That's the idea here. Egypt, uh, having been defeated at Carchemish, um, takes out its frustrations, uh, unleashes destruction upon um, uh, the region of Gaza. And then the Babylonians come two years later and do the same thing. <laughs> um, so they, they kind of get doubly smacked from the north here, uh, both from the Egyptians uh, as they're heading back south, um, but then uh, following uh, the Babylonians hit them again. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's like a torrent of destruction that's been unleashed from the north upon them. Good, what else uh, um, stands out to you about how Jeremiah is describing what is happening to the Philistines? So we've got, it's like a flood. Yeah, it's like they're, they're again just instruments. Um, and notice the, like this dialogue. Um, that they're, like, even they recognize, um, ah, sword of the Lord, how long till you're quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard, rest and be still. And then God's response, how can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge? So there, these nations coming uh, against them are described as God's sword that, that he's using to strike them down. And, Unlike we, when we get to Moab, we see he gives us lots of reasons um, why Moab is, is being punished. Uh, he doesn't go into that kind of—he he describes the punishment here, and he describes that it's coming from God, but he doesn't detail you know, what sins they're being judged uh, for in the same way as we'll see him do um, for the Moabites. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, notice the sensory aspects, like, you know, he, he, the sound. Um, Men shall cry out. Every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise of the stallions of the hooves of his, of his stallions, at the noise of the stamping of the hooves of the stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. So it's very um, sensory, You're, all the noise, all the tumult. And then, as you say, it's happening so quickly um, so uh, suddenly the fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. Uh, and then again, um, uh, as Grant noted, it's it's the Lord who's doing it, for the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaphtor. So again, like, we we view these events from human history, and like we talked about last week, with the defeat of the Egyptians, like the Battle of Carchemish is a, um, in human history, is a world-changing event. But that wasn't the focus of Jeremiah. Um, the focus of Jeremiah is what God is doing at this moment. And here, the focus is on the destruction that God is bringing upon the Philistines, and it's as you say, I mean it, it's it's um, presenting a, a very sensory poetic picture of that destruction, and I, I, and I think you're right that 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 line there, um, the fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands. Like I mean, that's just a description. Like I mean, again, for for those of you who are parents in the room, like you know you would rush to save your children first. Like you you know that's the Children are the one moment like our instincts for self preservation are supposed to be like shelved <laughs> like um, but but here like self preservation like the terror is so um, high that self preservation takes over, and fathers are abandoning their children in their flight um, so it's really a, a, a graphic picture of sudden destruction that Again, Jeremiah is very clear. It's the Lord that's bringing this destruction upon them. It might be Egyptians. It might be Babylonians. But they are just the sword that God has unsheathed in his judgment against them. Yeah, Dave. Sure. Sure. It's mourning, so it's an act of mourning. So, so it's a sign, and we'll see it again with Moab, uh, like verse 37 of chapter 48, the same picture is given in a little more detail. For every head is shaved and every beard cut off. All the hand, on all the hands are gashes, and around the waist is sackcloth. So sackcloth, shaving your head. Um, and then we know that cutting yourself was a pagan sign of mourning that the book of Deuteronomy uh, forbids Israel from, from adapting, so the, the gashing yourself. But all those are part of this, this ritual exercise of mourning. So there you see uh, the mourning, um, the signs of mourning have come upon the Philistines, uh, and then we'll see again in chapter 48, it comes again uh, on the Moabites. Uh, Greg, you had your hand. Yeah, it's like turning back and, again, like seeing that image of an enormous wall of water coming for, for you, and it's just covered your house. And, yeah, you, you know you can't get back into that house to save anybody. It's so sudden. It's so destructive. There's nothing you can do. And, and that's the picture. They're being overwhelmed by the judgment of God upon them at this moment. All right, anything else we want to say about the Philistines? There's a lot more about Moab, so. Okay, well, let's let's flip to chapter 48. Um, yeah, I was telling my Stephen last night when I was getting ready, and I was like, I showed him in one of my commentaries. This is all the commentary says about chapter 47. It's like two paragraphs. I think we're doing two chapters tomorrow. <laughs> um, but there's a lot about Moab. Um, for a small co- country, Moab receives a disproportionately long or- oracle. Um, so... I mean, let's just, you know, we're not gonna be able to unpack all the details, but what stands out in this? Like, you know, as you think about this one, there's some things different about the prophecy concerning Moab. So what, what are some of those things? Yeah, Dave. And that will actually, um, we'll see that again next time with the Ammonites, um, chapter 49. But afterwards, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. Um, uh, We'll see it again, all right, let's see, um, Elam. But in the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. So, yeah, like, it's, um, we we see this. uh, We saw it a little bit with, with Egypt, um, last week, I will discipline in you, you in just measure, but, or no, weird. for I will make full end of the nations, oh, that's Judah, hold on, where's the line? The daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame, she shall be delivered into the hand of a people from the north. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel said, behold, I'm bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes and Pharaoh in Egypt and her gods and her kings upon Pharaoh and those who trust in him. I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his officers. Afterward, Egypt shall be inhabited as in the days of the old, declares the Lord. So, like, that was a little glimpse, but this is more explicit, as you say. I will, because it's, it's saying God will restore their fortunes. Um, so as we think about, like, again, we, we talked a little bit about last week, what's being emphasized in these... Um, prophecies concerning the nations is that God is the God of all nations. He's not just the God of Israel, not just the God of Judah. He is the sovereign God over all the earth that he has the power and the right to bring judgment upon these nations and their only hope for restoration is in him. So it is one of those moments that we see yes the the promise comes to Israel but the promise comes to Israel in order that all the nations of the earth be blessed. So it's sort of that that picture here that we're given. Yes, God is bringing judgment upon Israel's close neighbors, the Moabites. Um, he's going to bring them low. Um, but their hope for restoration uh, there is in him. Uh, and again, notice that the promise is in the latter days. So, you know, the latter days, is usually kind of pointing forward to that day of salvation, day of judgment. Um, so in the last days, there's hope for Moab, yeah. and it, it, it There are little verses that punctuate some of these prophecies, but um, I think the emphasis is, again, God is the sovereign Lord of all the nations, and against um, Chemosh, uh, who is mentioned multiple times in chapter 48. Chemosh is a Moabite god. It's their national god. Um, you think of um, when uh, Solomon uh, marries uh, Moabitus he sets up an altar to Chemosh um, for his wife. Um, so, you know, it's her nas- it was her national deity. So I think that's one of the reasons we see Chemosh being explicitly singled out here is because this is a nation that um, has kept a national God that's very proud of their their specific God who are very trusting in the powers of that God to deliver them and 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 we'll see uh, in you know Kimosh can't do anything to save them <laughs> um, you know uh Chemosh is is helpless. Um, You know, Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. Um, So it's singling out in in this chapter that the God of Moab will, will be shown to be no God and that the Moabites' hope of restoration lies in the hands of Yahweh. I'm not sure. Uh, Like from a regional standpoint, again, they're like where Jordan is. Um, But they, like, so they they get taken, as Jeremiah prophesies, they're taken into captivity um, roughly about five years after the fall of Jerusalem. Um, Nebuchadnezzar comes and lays waste to Moab um, and, you know, drags people off to different places. So I'm not sure. What what happens to them? There's actually not a lot of extra biblical information about Moab. There are a couple like there's one major stele that every commentary <laughs> looked at referred to um, because it's we've got the scripture and we've got uh, a stele um, and that is about it as far as like non-biblical information about Moab. So I don't know, and I'm not sure that anybody exactly knows. There are Christian Jordanians (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, and they're Christian, like if we think, uh, again, like chapter 47, you know, it it mentions Gaza, like, and, you know, that's as we, the current warfare, there are Christian Palestinians in Gaza who are suffering terribly um, at this moment. So, but yeah, but what specifically the nation of Moab, what they evolved into, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> there is a limit to my knowledge. It, and and you just found it <laughs> doesn't take long to find that limit. <laughs> I will I I always admit I don't know. Steely. Like it's so uh, like, you know, um Think think of like um, the Rosetta Stone, like if you like, so it's a big rock with writing on it that, you know, like a historical monument marker that was put up. S T E L E Stele. Stela. So, um, yeah, and yeah, like every commentary I looked at talked about it because it's like we don't know outside the Bible very much about Moab. Um, it does, like, we, and if we think what you learn here, like some of the things we know wine, <laughs> um, it, this was this a wine producing uh, region. It's a, you know, it, it talks about, um, you know, uh, it gives us a description judgment has come upon the tableland. Moab mostly consists of the big, uh, elevated plateau, it's about 3,000 feet above sea level, but it's relatively flat. So it's this flat um, plateau that was known for its wine. So as we think about a lot of the symbolism that Jeremiah is weaving into this, um, there's a lot of, of wine making imagery woven into this um, and that, you know, again, it's a wine producing, wine growing region. Yeah, Greg. I think that is a reference to the people coming to destroy them. <laughs> so the, yeah, cursed is the person who comes to unleash punishment upon them that, that you know, <laughs> is lazy. <laughs> um, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Um, so that, I think, is an instruction toward the Babylonians coming to destroy them. Like, like you, you need to, effectively um, take out this people. Um, And don't be lazy, (laughs) don't be half-hearted about it. Be complete in bringing judgment. I mean, like, if you think, we've got multiple reasons. So one, uh, as you point out, verse 7, she trusts in her own wealth and power. Like, So she is, uh, the nation is trustful, trust in its own ability. And I I think, like, as we think, one of my other questions is, um, or my, um, uh, like, I, I, one of my questions is how are we in our current situation in danger of being like Moab, and I think trusting in our own wealth and power, you know, or being in a place that um, is materially prosperous—it's so easy for us to trust in things, prosperity, trust in the work of our own hands. Um, the the uh, kind of accompanying, um, you, you know, we know how wealth and power. Uh, can cause pride and arrogance. So um, Moab, as you say, uh, there are multiple passages. So verse 14, um, how do you say we are heroes and mighty men of war? Verse 26, um, got gunk in my eye. That's making it hard to see. Um, uh, Make him drunk because he magnified himself against the Lord. Uh, verses 29 to 30, we've heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride and his arrogance and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false, his deeds are false. Uh, and then again in verse um, 42, Moab shall be destroyed and be no longer a people because he magnified himself against the Lord. So trusting in their its own wealth and power um, and then being arrogant about that wealth that power their their own ability and notice twice it sing- singles out they're insolent against god like you know so it's 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 not just you know insolence toward their their neighbors it's a pride and arrogance addressed specifically toward god um, so it's it's not just like my my uh, one of my New Testament professors used to say, they're like pride, you, you know, is normally bad, but we can be proud of like when we, you know, accomplish something and or like do a good job." I put up a kitchen cabinet yesterday, and it's straight, <laughs> and it hasn't fallen off the wall yet. Um, I haven't put anything in it yet, but um, but so like I'm proud of that. But like but uh, like you know. So it's, that's not the kind of pride that he's being addressed. It's this spiritual, I don't need you, God. Like, you know, uh, like, and we encounter this all the time. Like, who needs God? Like, I'm strong. Like, I'm not, a, like, a weak. I'm a strong person. You know, that Christianity might be good for, for you because you're a weakling, but, you know, like, I'm a strong person, so I don't need God. It's that kind of spiritual arrogance. That he is really pointing out. And as you say, that's the one that gets repeated the most. Very proud, exceedingly arrogant. Yeah, Dave? (laughs) Also, some of the most exquisite were pictures right here in chapter 48, like verse 11. They have lost their fizz. yeah and and again, using wine, like you know Moab has been eased from his youth and has settled on his dregs <laughs> so his taste remains in him, and his scent is not changed and then you have the the image of judgment. behold the days- are coming, declares the Lord when I shall send to him pourers who will pour him out <laughs> and empty his vessel and break his jars into pieces so so yeah it's a it, there are there are all kinds of uh, amazing um, word pictures here and and that one like um, you know like y- like like y- you want the the dregs to settle like so you don 't like so if you 're pouring a vessel to vessel you 're stirring the dregs up, but so it 's that idea you want the dregs to settle there in the bottom and be undisturbed and not um, disrupt the taste of the wine but so a- as you say they 've been in a peaceful, settled position where um, the dregs are, are left there undisturbed. Um, and so the wine stays good. It, it smells good. Nothing, sh- it tastes good. And he's God's saying, I'm gonna send somebody and they're gonna shake you up. <laughs> um, they're gonna let loose the dregs. They're gonna break the jar, <laughs> shatter it. Um, so, So yeah, there are some amazing word pictures um, in, in this prophecy against Moab. Yeah, John. I mean, again, as you say, these are people who are near. you know, They're, they're relatives. These are people they should, should know better. Um, these are people who have heard of Yahweh. And some of the cities uh, that they actually mention, um, there's at least, I can't remember, I'd have to pull up the commentary, um, but there's one of these cities that, men, that he mentions was a city that, um, worshipped Yahweh and then the Moabites came in and drove the Yahweh worshippers out and established Kimosh. Um, so so as we, we think of um, these are a people who, you know, in a sense, as you're saying, should have known better. Um, they're close enough to, to know the truth, which makes their insolence against Yahweh all the more um, all the more arrogant And all the more hateful to God in in bringing this judgment upon them. You had your hand? Yeah, and, and especially here, like um, we talked about this last week, like he, he wipes out the gods of the Egyptians. So, and, and like bringing this destruction and preventing sins from multiplying, like he has to destroy these people's confidence in these false gods who they're trusting in. And for the Moabites, they are trusting in Chemosh. Chemosh is a god of war. Um, we have the description in Kings of the Moabite king who sacrifices his son on the walls of the city uh, to, to you know to get kimosh on his side to march out to war like that is horrid horrible so as he the punishment is is deserved and as you say it seems extreme but what like what would be worse is to let them continue in what we see here and we've talked about their complacency their continued trust in Kimosh. Uh, Their continued worshiping of this false god is just going to continue to to spread so that that evil has to be eliminated um, in this way. I mean, I don't think he's coming upon them in the same kind of spirit of the Lord, but but he's moving them like, like you see this in Isaiah too. Like, uh, it's really explicit in Isaiah. God ta- calls the Assyrians his tool. <laughs> like, that, that's what they are. They are they're just a tool um, and a tool upon whom judgment will fall for the evil things that they're doing to God's people. So we're going to see that like. And that's um as we see the progression of these chapters, it's the Babylonians over and over again who are the instruments of God's destruction. Guess who's the final nation listed that's gonna be destroyed? The Babylonians. So like it's so I, I would say it's different than in Judges. Like they're a tool that he's using for a time, and they themselves are are Spreading evil, so he's going to bring his judgment and wrath upon them for all the destruction that they're bringing, especially against the people of God. So, so as we think of of them being um, used by God, um, it's it's the way like hardening the heart works. It's God is is removing the restraints on them. Um, he's, he's not forcing them to do something they have no inclination to do. He is removing their restraints and letting them go out and do the things that Babylonian armies do, which is destroy, take captives, um, and, and then he's going to destroy them or judge them for that. And they, too, will be destroyed, as will their gods. Yeah, David, yeah, I I am not going to speculate on that. <laughs> that yeah, that's a rabbit trail <laughs> in in the last 2 minutes of class. I'm not going to run down. Um but 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 yeah, I mean I, I think um back to Debbie's point th- this does inform ideas about just war um and and what um you know a, a just war has to have just causes it has to be carried out uh in a just manner like Know, there there's rules in this tradition that are created that are informed by scriptures such as these yes No, no, you're saying it perfect. Yeah. To me that's never, I hate to use the word fair, but it's never seemed right to me that God would use the Babylonians to judge the Israelites and then punish the Babylonians for doing what he used them for. So um the way one of my friends uh and his his coint Way to say it. God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks, so uh, so so God is acting perfectly righteously, wielding a crooked stick. You know, wielding Babylon, um, and so the B- Babylonians are following the sinful inclinations of their heart, and God and His sovereignty is giving them free reign for that moment. Um, again, in order that. God's purposes are accomplished. Um, and then they too, like all men, um, are subject to judgment for their sins. Like, so it's God's judgment is falling upon human sin. I mean, that's, that's the, the emphasis in this, and that God can judge the sin, not just of his people, but of all the nations. Um, and the instrument of his judgments are often other nations, but God too will hold them accountable for what they 've done, so I mean, yeah, like trying to describe like or think of an analogy um, so it 'd be like if if I know like i I have the world 's sweetest dog, so this would never happen, but let 's say I know that 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 my dog <laughs> um, would harm someone. Um and uh, yeah, no, that's not a good one. I, I, I just have a heart my, my dog is, is more liable to lick someone to death than um like we, we joke that <laughs> if someone broke into our house she would be like, Hi, how you doing? Um maybe not, but 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 it's I mean it is hard um to understand, but the idea is uh, it, it's kinda and again I think the idea of hardening of Pharaoh's heart. God is not putting new ideas in in Pharaoh's head. He's letting Pharaoh, he's removing the restraints. He's removing the corrections. He's letting Pharaoh follow the desires of his heart. He's, so Pharaoh's, he's, he's not opening Pharaoh's ears. He's not opening Pharaoh's eyes to the truth. He's letting Pharaoh keep doing what Pharaoh's heart desires. It's not turning Pharaoh in another direction. Like, that's not what hardening is. Um, uh, that's not what using the Babylonians are. He's not, they're not going this way, and God's like, oh, go destroy this people. No, they're on their way to destroy that people, and God is using them, again, in his sovereign power to, to bring about righteous judgment using unrighteous instruments, which is what all human beings, all human kingdoms are. We're all part of these unrighteous um, institutions that deserve judgment. Um, And God uses one to judge another and and brings them them down. And again, all of that um, should be driving us to what he tells us um, in verse 15. Uh, the destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up, and the choices as the young men have gone down to sl- slaughter declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Like So it's he is the sovereign one ruling all of it. Um, he's the one king that we need to, to look for. If we're putting any trust in human kingdoms or we're trusting in um, the works of our hands, Uh, or we're trusting in our own power or our own treasure and possessions, like we're going to discover how foolish all of that is. The one place trust should be exercised or placed upon is upon the king whose name is the Lord of Hosts. And that is where we should be orienting our attention, not focusing on, you know, which kingdom's better than another or should this kingdom be judged for that? They all should be judged. <laughs> just as we all stand under the guilt and condemnation of our sin until we're delivered by God. God's act of redemption saves us. Um, otherwise, we're just all crooked sticks <laughs> that God is using to accomplish his purposes. All right, well, we're at time, so let me uh, close this with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we do confess. um, We uh, don't always understand uh, what you're doing um, as uh, we look at um, events in our current society and as we look at history. um, uh, Like we talked about uh, last week, Um, it it seems like a mess uh, to us, Um, but you are putting together uh, your perfect tapestry of human history. And you're bringing uh, all things to their perfect conclusion, which is uh, the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, who will come and exercise a final judgment upon this world uh, and the people and kingdoms of it, and establish uh, his everlasting reign, uh, and show himself what he is now, uh, which is the king and ruler of all the nations. Uh, Lord, Uh, we confess um, it's so easy to become complacent um, uh, with the things we have or uh, complacent in the society in which we live. Um, Shake us from our complacency. Um, Help us uh, to look not to the security of the things of this world, um, but put our trust uh, in the one who um, has created and directed all things to their perfect end. Um, We do pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and uh, help us to worship uh, our um, Savior, Jesus Christ, in the coming hour. We ask all this in his matchless name. Amen.